Jesus. So, um, specks and logs and pigs and dogs, what do they all have in common? Well, they all have in common is that they are found in our text today. Jesus mentions all four of these things in chapter 7 of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I know that the title of the sermon, you know, is um, sometimes to get your attention, um, but they are here, and they are in the text, and we will look at them. This is not a 4-H class, I promise you. I am going to preach a sermon, and hopefully uh, it will be something that all of us, um, by the Holy Spirit, uh, could live into of what God has called us to be. Because you see, as Jesus is teaching, he is teaching us how to live this Christian life righteously before one another and to him. For many people, the Bible consists of about four, sometimes four, maybe even three, is what I've kind of narrowed it down to, verses. The first one is, Matthew 7, 1, do not judge. The second one is John 8, 7. Let him, who, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Some of you have heard that. And then 1 John 4, 16, God is love. And that verse, let me tell you, is taken so much out of context to the point that God is love, so he just wants anything to go. It's okay. God loves you, and he wants you to love everybody. And if that means anything that makes you happy, it's okay with God because God is love. If we Christians would add a verse as far as our favorite, probably one of those would be, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish and have, will have everlasting life. And I can't do that without the King James Version because that's how I learned it when I was about that tall. The um, other verse that probably the world would stand on and take out of context more often than any other is this verse in the text this morning, and that is do not judge. Do not judge. Not a lot of people, even when they use that verse, realize where it is, the context that it's used in, and what Jesus means by it. Very few will even know what that means. The other problem this morning is, is as we are told not to judge by Jesus, some people apply that to even God shouldn't judge. I can't tell you the number of times that I have been told by people and some pastors that God is not a God of justice any longer. God does not judge right or wrong. I have been told that. But God is still a God of justice. He's also a God of love. Both attributes are true. I'm tempted to respond sometime when people tell me that and use the phrase from Indigo Montoya, which is in the movie The Princess Bride. 
And he uses this phrase quite a bit. And here's what he says. You keep using that verse, I don't think it means what you think it means. So maybe by the end of the day, we will have a little better perception of this particular passage. I will tell you that this is a tough passage for me. I don't know that it will be for you, because I will tell you that as, as I have gotten older, I've gotten more cranky, and I've gotten more of a critical spirit in me. And Jesus is talking about that critical spirit that we can have, and I find it in myself. So let me tell you, these verses are speaking to me this morning as much as anyone else in this room or those that might be watching online. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're in Matthew 7. We are in this now, the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 6. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. If in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by, the way, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or... How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before the swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate your heart, our hearts and minds for what you would hold for us this day. We pray this in your name. Amen. And so since I said that the, this verse, do not judge, is often taken out of context, I actually want to do the first thing that we do is do not judge. What it does not mean, what this does not mean. And Jesus tells us that it does not prohibit us in making moral judgments. He does not prohibit us from making moral judgments. That is discerning what is right and wrong according to God's word. And that's an important piece that we need to add, in according to God's word. And we know this because the Bible over and over reminds us, tells us that we are to have moral judgments. Twice in this particular passage, Jesus tells us that. And then if we were to move down a little bit further into verses 15 and 20, he would ask, actually tell us that we are to judge the false prophets or judge for false prophets that are out in the world. 
we would not be able to do either of these if we were not allowed to have moral judgments, deciding through God's word, according to what God's standard is, right and wrong. In John 7, 24, Jesus says this, Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. In Ephesians 5.11, Paul says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. In other words, how would we expose the deeds that are evil if we didn't have righteous judgment according to God's word? Now, ironically, although this is not what Jesus meant by this verse, that we should never judge, most people look at this and take that out and say, oh, no, you can't say that I'm sinning. Oh, no, you can't tell me that I can't have this moral behavior. Oh, no, you can't say that I am wrong in my actions because the Bible says do not judge. Jesus is not prohibiting moral judgments. And over and over again, we are told to make righteous judgments according to God's word. Secondly, it does not mean that we are to turn off our brains. 1 John 4.1 says, Beloved, do you not believe every do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We can't turn our brain off. We have to have proper judgment. We have to assess to a, to judge what is before us. And John tells us there are so many spirits out that we have to test that by God's word to see if that is from God or not. In other words, there has to be some judgment there. You can't just pick a verse and hang on it and apply it to your opinions or your assumptions as the world would have you do. And then... Another reason, a third reason, is that it does not mean that we suspend the rule of law. In Romans 13, as we were studying the book of Romans, Paul says that the government bears the sword and that the government makes adjudications, in other words, judgments on right and wrong according to the law. But when we get to the church, that rule applies also. In 1 Corinthians uh, 5, Paul says that we are to exercise church discipline. If someone is evil among you and is unrepentant and is causing discourse and chaos within the body and you cannot bring about reconciliation, Paul says you are to dismiss that person from the body. Church discipline. Church discipline is to restore, but when that restoration cannot be made, a decision has to be made that that person or persons are removed from the body. 
And so it does not mean suspend the rule of law when it comes to God's word. And so these are things that do not judge does not mean. So if this is what it does not mean, then what does it mean? What is Jesus trying to get across? And first, Jesus forbids this critical, judgmental spirit. He is not talking about evaluating behavior. Rather, he is talking about condemning people, looking down on people. A parallel passage that would work here is this, Romans 14.10, where Paul says, Why do you judge your brother, or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. J.C. Riles, preacher, commentator, captures this verse, and he says, What the Lord means, what our Lord means to condemn is that constituous and fault-finding spirit, a readiness to blame others for trifle offenses and matter of indifferences, a habit of passing rash, hasty judgments, a disposition to magnify the errors and the infirmities of our neighbor and to make them worse so that it lifts us up. In other words, we look at someone and condemn them to make us look better. And Jesus forbids that critical judgmental spirit where we look down on someone else and exalt ourselves up. So Jesus goes on to tell us that we shouldn't judge others. The first reason he gives us is, you're not the judge, he's the judge. Look at it. Do not judge or you too will be judged. We are not the judge. Just think of it this way. If you were in a courtroom and you were having to lay out your life before the bench, the guy who is on the judgment seat, who has the gavel to make that decision on right or wrong, who's the judge in that case? It's not you. It's not you. Jesus says, look, do not judge because you're going to be judged. Too many people today are judge, jury, and executioner with a harsh spirit, a critical spirit, looking down on others. But Jesus says, you're not qualified to make that decision. In other words, if, if you are being critical and it's not a moral issue of right and wrong, you don't know the background, you don't know the history, you don't know the extenuating circumstances, you may not know anything, but yet you see somebody do something and you make a decision critically because of your opinion and really nothing else. So I was sitting on Friday night uh, in, a, in a table setting at our school. We were having a, a gala event and... Um, there was a gentleman next to me, and he said, um, so you're church, you're a preacher. And he said, um, you wear a tie and a coat? I said, sometimes, sometimes I don't. He said, well, most preachers wear a coat and tie. I said, okay. 
And then he said, do you have smoking lights in your service? And I said, well, we have lights, but we don't have any smoke machines. He said, do you have a pulpit? And I said, well, we have a platform that has a table that I preach from. So you have a pulpit. And I said, well, not like the normal traditional churches. So you don't have a pulpit. I said, well, not really. Well, why don't you have a pulpit? If you're preaching God's word, shouldn't you stand there behind the pulpit? Now, I have to tell you, he, it was interesting conversation for the rest of the night. I just have to leave it at that. But I was, I was thinking about this um, judgment of, I'm not the judge. <laughs> um, God is going to make those judgments. And so this morning I decided not to wear a jacket just in honor of that person that thought I should wear a jacket. So it has nothing to do with you. It, it really doesn't. So Romans 4, 14, 4 says this, you are to judge someone, you are not to judge someone's other servant or their servant because they belong to the master. And what Paul is saying here is, you don't judge because you're not qualified to judge because God is the judge. We belong to God, and God is going to judge us on our deeds and our actions, our words. And only God can judge perfectly. We read in James 4, Anyone who speaks against his brother and judges him against the law judges it. And there's only, James says, one lawgiver and judge. And that is the one who is able to save. Do you know what the other word is? And destroy. God is only able to save and destroy. I can't send anyone to hell by my opinion of what I'm going to judge them over. God is the only one. And so we... When we set ourselves up as judge and we look at ourselves as better than other people, we have two problems with that. First, you're not, and secondly, you're failing to love your neighbor as yourself, which is one of the, the great commandments. So the first reason that Jesus gives us is we're not to, to, to judge because God is judge. We're not. Secondly, it's because God will judge you and me in the same way that we judge others. That's verse 2, right? God will judge you in the same way that you judge others. If you are harshly and uh, mer you know, not merciful to others, then God would judge us in the same way. And so the question that I have to ask myself and you have to ask yourself is, are we loving and are we merciful to others? Do we have a generous spirit overlooking others' faults, overlooking many times others' ignorance in when it comes to the gospel? Do we show them mercy? Do we treat them as we would want others to treat us? If you have been you know, following along as we have been in the Sermon on the Mount, twice already Jesus has addressed this. 
in 5-7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And then in the Lord's Prayer, 6-12, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then Paul, in the second chapter, the first verse, says this, You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do exactly the same thing. How many times have we condemned someone else for actions that at some point we have done ourselves. In the song that Lori sang this morning, I think it was the second song, um, and it says, Mercy Triumphs Over Judgment. That's from James 2. And that's one of my favorite verses. I will tell you in times when someone has judged me on my life, I have had to go to that verse and just remember that mercy triumphs over judgment. When we think about this measure, that we will be measured in the same way as we measure someone else, think about it. The world wants to use the word fairness a lot. You could actually put that here, and I'll give you an example. I don't know, that clock is way wrong, but anyway. Um, I used to run track in high school. And uh, I ran, one of the things that I did was run the two-mile race. And um, it, we didn't run, you know, distance like they do today as far as, you know, um, these long, long distances. But we ran the two-mile, and it was around a track, and it was eight laps. A, a mile was four laps, a two-mile was eight laps. And so there were those when we had a track meet that some of us could lap. In eight laps, you would lap a few people that just weren't as fast as making that two-mile trek around those, that, that, that track. We were in South Brunswick High School outside of Shalote, and um, we had lapped, a, our team had lapped a, a couple of people, and one of our guys finished across the finish line and one of the other runners that had been lapped finished behind him and they called the race and, and said he was in second place and we were like hey wait that's not fair well he crossed the line behind the first place runner but he didn't run all eight laps how, how can he finish in second place if he didn't run all eight, eight laps? It's just not fair. And we do that. Now, that was not fair. I'm just telling you it was not fair. But we do that all the time. We look at fairness as how the world judges. And Jesus is telling us, just, just wait a minute. The, the way that you're judging, and especially the attitude that you judge with, you need to be in check on that. And he actually says this next thing is, in fact, what you might need to do is judge yourself first. 
in verses 3 through 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust or uh, speck in your brother's eye, yet pay no attention to the plank that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, the fir first take the plank out of your own eye, then you can clearly see to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. This is a wonderful uh, image that Jesus gives. There had to be people on the side of the mountain that day that were laughing at this because this image that they have, because when they think of a plank, it was not a little two-by-four or a little piece of wood. This was like a mask. This was like a mask to a sailboat. This is a 40-foot piece of wood that's sticking out of your eye. And every time you turn your head, you're bumping people and hitting them with it. And how can you even consider taking this little piece of sawdust out of your brother or sister's eye and you're hitting them side the head with this plank that's in your own Three times in this passage, Jesus uses the word, your own. And so I really believe that he is telling us, hey, look, you have to examine yourself first. And to examine ourselves first, we need to understand that we know our own sins better than anyone else's. We really do know our own sins better than anyone else's. Now, not everyone may know our sin, but we do. We try to hide it. We, we often, when we sin, uh, we as Christians say, oh my goodness, and the Holy Spirit convicts us, and God saw that. I hope nobody else saw it. We, we know our sins. We've got this big piece of wood, and we know that it becomes a battering ram at times of how we treat others. And Jesus says, nope. You know your sins better than anyone else, and you need to judge yourself first. Then he says, with this plank, you need to judge yourself first because you view your sins much better than theirs. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, you need to judge yourself first because if you are going to put your sin lower than this one, my brother Bruce, oh, Bruce has done this, and, but I, I haven't done that, and, and his sin's worse than my sin, and so I'm going to condemn him for what he did, but the view of my sin, I'm thinking, is it's down on the bottom rung of that ladder. And by the way, thank you, Franklin, for a ladder in the middle of the service. If you want to ask Franklin why, you can ask him after the service. So, you know, my sin may be on the lower rung, and somebody else's sin, as I view it, is on a higher plane, a higher rung. And Jesus is saying, no, you can't do that. You know, we have a tendency to point out the faults of others and minimize our own faults. And Jesus says, no, examine yourself first. And then... Another reason, he says, is because you're acting hypocritical. Now, he would have been not only talking to any of the Jewish leaders that would have been on the side of the mountain that day, but he would have been talking to most of the Jews that were there because the Jews looked so down on the Gentiles or so down on anyone else. 
and especially the religious leaders looked down on others. Look at us. Look what we do. We talked about that when we were talking about fasting and praying um, and how God cautioned us of that, of being hypocritical in how we pray and fast. And so here Jesus is saying, wait a minute. Examine yourself first. Don't be a hypocrite in, in how you judge. Judge yourself first. Look at your own sins first. Don't view your sin as a less than to get away with it. And then Jesus says, you can't help others until with their sins until you have first addressed your own. Look at, at verse 5. He says, you know, you're a hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's a ridiculous idea to think that we could do anything with the plank that's in ours and then go help someone else. And so God positions ourselves, and he says, judge yourself first, take your sin, your plank, take out that, and then, and then you can go and help your brother. You see, even in this passage, there is judgment that Jesus gives us that we can go and help our brother. Jesus calls us to help others rather than judge them. Remove your plank. Go help your brother. You don't ignore the sin of someone that you love. And I will tell you that that is hard. And many Christians have a tough time in going to their brother and sister and saying to them, I, I see the life that you're living. Can we have a conversation about that? Because probably the first words out of their mouth is, don't you judge me. Don't you condemn me. Jesus is saying, now, now first, you have to have removed your plank. But when you go to your brother and sister and you help them, you do not do it with a critical attitude. You do it with gentleness. Paul wrote to the church at Galatia 6.1 and says, Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual, in other words, you who are Christians, who are living a spiritual life, should restore them. You know what word he uses here? Gently. You should restore them gently. And so, so often we are tempted to be harsh or critical in we, how we see someone else living their life, but the scriptures remind us when we are going to the one who has the speck in their eye, how we relate to them, how we minister to them, how we help them to see maybe how they're living in sin or how they're not living out the righteous life that God has called them to. It is carefully and gent gent gently done. And we have to keep that in our mind. And then the final verse it reminds us that about those who refuse to 
be helped. And Jesus says, you know, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before the swine. A swine, of course, is a pig. Now they will trample it and below their feet and tear it apart, tear you to pieces. Now, we need to remember that as Jesus was teaching, dogs and, and, and pigs at the time were unclean. Uh, they would have never, ever thought that we would drive to Statesville, North Carolina, and pay X amount of hundreds of dollars for a full-blooded beagle. They would think we had lost our ever-loving mind to pay money for a dog because in the first century, dogs were looked at as nasty. Dogs were looked at as wild. They were not looked at in any way. They could not even imagine having a dog as a pet inside their house, much less anywhere else. And pigs, of course, you already know what they viewed uh, pigs as being. And here Jesus uses both of these analogies, and he says, you know, these are going to be trampled under the swine. You, you wouldn't give what is sacred to a dog, something that is, is nasty. In other words, be careful how you share the gospel. Now, he does not hear me, church. He does not say, do not share the gospel. But we have to be careful not to force the gospel on people. And sadly enough, there are those who do reject it. But Jesus calls us not to force it. Be careful because there are those who will refuse the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus teaches us not to engage to those who treat the gospel with contempt. And so when we think about that, and you will remember the verses in, in Matthew's gospel, in the 10th chapter, the 14th verse, Jesus says, If anyone will not welcome you, he has sent the disciples out. He says, or listen to the words. In other words, the scripture, your words. We have it as scripture today. Shake the dust off your feet and leave that town or country. If you go to Luke 10, you will see that Jesus sends the 70 out, and he tells them, do not if, if they have rejected the gospel, if they reject what you are teaching, what you are preaching, what you are offering in, in Christ Jesus, then leave them. Shake the dust off of your feet. Do not continue to engage them. It does not mean that you don't continue to offer the gospel, that you don't continue to offer the gospel gently, reverently, and righteously. Now, I've been asked many times over the years, well, if someone rejects, has contempt for the gospel, what can I do? And my response to them is love them, pray for them, and continue to be a witness before them. You need to write that down or file it away in your head because as you are sharing the gospel, and there are those who do not want to hear it or those who have contempt for it, if you will love them, remember Jesus said not only love these that you love around you, but love your enemy, love your neighbor as yourself. Love them, pray for them, 
and live out your Christian witness before them. We have family members that, by the way they live and what they say, they're not believers. And so I pray for them all the time, and I love them dearly. And they know the witness that I have before the Lord. And I will continue to do those three things until the Holy Spirit gives me the opportunity to present the gospel again in some way, or my prayer is that God will put someone before them that will do that. And at that point, God has wooed them to the point that they surrender their life. And so we've talked about this judgment theme in this passage. And we have to remember that, that Jesus calls us to remember that we are not to have this critical attitude, these critical judgments. And he uses the analogy of specks and logs and pigs and dogs. And the question that we have to remember when we hear those words, maybe from this point forward, is how are we doing? Are we struggling? And I will tell you, as I admitted at the start of this sermon, that I struggle at times with my critical attitude of what I see others doing. And often as I see that and feel that and God convicts me of that, what often I realize is it has nothing to do with an essential. It has everything to do with my opinion. And when I start using God's word and the essentials of God's word to overlay that, often I will have to ask for forgiveness. There are times when it is about righteousness or sinfulness. And so how we approach others with our relationship is important. How we practice discernment and make right moral judgments is important. How we speak truth in love is important. How we approach our brothers and sisters with love rather than judgment is important. And only you and me, only us individually, know where we're at in that work. My guess is, and it's only a guess, it is literally only an opinion and not a judgment, but my best guess is every one of us could use a little bit of work in this area. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage that reminds us that this analogy of specks and logs, of pigs and dogs, and all of this as it encompasses in your teaching, Father, we realize, Father, that there are so many times that we are critical in our judgments of others. And sometimes it's because we're lifting ourselves up as better. Or sometimes we are hypocritical in our thoughts of how we view that. Father, you have called us to judge ourselves first.
to remove the plank out of our eyes so that we can go and help others. And so, Father, we, we know that you have called us to share the gospel, and there are times when there are those that are in contempt of the gospel and do not want to hear it, and you even give us instructions on that. So, Father, help us to, help us to look at your word, to not take it out of context, but, Father, to live into it righteously and rightly in every way so that others may see Christ in us. May we love them, pray for them, Father. Father, may we be a witness so others can see Christ. And Father, for these and all things, We'll give you thanks. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.